How many of you know we're living in extraordinary times? The times they are changing very fast, politically, socially, culturally. Our world is in kind of warp speed. And being a follower of Jesus in this time, in this season, it is absolutely vital that we know not only who we are, but whose we are. Jesus is alive. He's still the God who changes things. We wrote a book called Defining Moments, which was about 100 years of our family and network of churches. And I want to say, very simply, I still believe in the suddenly moments of God. The God who came 2,000 years ago at Pentecost to the baby church Ordinary believers, just like you and me, and supercharged them with the Holy Spirit and sent them to the ends of the earth is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has called us to be real people in real places, but to live our lives with new purpose. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Pastor Colin and I are a tremendous debt of gratitude to myself and hundreds and maybe thousands of others over the years he has poured his life and ministry into, not just encouraging us, but giving us opportunity, radical, wild opportunities to serve Jesus on the front line of many different aspects of life. It's great to hear the guys singing this morning. Wow, aren't they amazing? But you know, that's one of those frontiers of life, the arts, entertainment, culture, uh, where Pastor Colin has had a vision, not just that he's kept himself, but where he sought to mobilize many, many people and to cast vision for what can happen in all kinds of places, places of influence, when real people get a hold of the love, the pursuing love of a real God. So come with me into the scriptures this morning to Luke chapter 5. We're going back to a moment in time. It's a moment written for us by a a man by the name of Luke. The Bible says that men spoke from God in these passages. But as they were driven along by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what I'm about to read to you are really words written by a man called Luke. He was a physician, a doctor a man of great precision in his language and great care in the details. But it's not just his words we're about to read. These are words that have been breathed into by the Holy Spirit of God. And so I believe that as we read his word, it can do more for us than just the words of the world around us. So I want to pray before we read it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and actions of the heart. What that means is God's Word, spoken through the Scriptures, spoken through the Holy Spirit into your heart and your life today, is powerful. It's life-giving. It's more than just words. And it can get where no precision surgeon can get. 
into the depths no psychologist or psychiatrist can get, where God's Word can get in our lives today. Amen? He is able to heal us where we don't even know where we need healing. He's able to bring hope and courage and life and strength and peace into the deep recesses of our nature today. So we're going to pray that he loose his word, not just my words, but his words. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus today, as I preach your word from these verses of Scripture, will you loose your inner word, that breath of God, that voice of hope, that word of faith that brings forth way more than we receive today. And may we be not just hearers, but doers. Change us, Lord, today and in the coming days by your life-giving word. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. I wish that we could just hit the button on the iPad, the phone, and put up here the YouTube clip of what I'm about to read. But 2,000 years ago, When Jesus came to a real place, the Sea of Galilee, to a town called Capernaum, which was a a market town, a a fishing center, a, a, a place that was something of a capital of the region called Galilee, there was no YouTube. So what we have are these amazing shorthand headline words written by the Holy Spirit and Dr. Luke. Here we go. Chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's a moment in time. In a world that seems to be careering in every direction but God's direction, I want to say to us that God knows the moment today. He knows the season that you're living in. He knows the circumstances of your life and of mine. And he comes to us 
personally to bring change, to bring new hope and purpose, to bring healing from the stuff of life, to bring us to understand how much he loved us and has put within us that surrender to him can begin to be used for his glory. But in order for us to receive that, I think today it's right for us to be reminded that Jesus still comes to real people. Nudge your neighbor and say, you're, real, you're a real person this morning. If you know him really well, you can just give him a little pinch and say, you're real, you're real. Don't, don't hurt him now because we don't want any problems afterwards. But look around at us this morning. In this building today, real people. Anybody not real, just say, now, here I am. We'll check it out. We're so different. Different gifts, different backgrounds, different experiences, different personalities and nature. In in fact, what on earth would gather us together in this building today? And I want to say the purposes of God, the love of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, that we not just know about him, but that we can have new life together in him. And make him known to those that are seeking for reality today, for dignity today, for their real identity today. We come to a moment in time when Jesus, who's just begun to preach good news to all in the surrounding area of Galilee, when the crowds are coming to him from all places near and far. When Jesus actually not just illustrates his love for crowds, but his passion for one man, one young guy who's doing life and trying to make the best of his present and have a better future. And when Jesus pursues him, I want to say today, God pursues people. Oh, yes, he does. Whether you're thinking of somebody right now that doesn't know the the love of God in their lives, that maybe not a a committed follower of Jesus, but you're praying for them. They're on your prayer list. You, You know they're going through some stuff and they need to know the love of Jesus. They need to know his life and hope. I want to say that Jesus not only knows about them, but he's on their case. He's pursuing them. And he has a way of stepping into the real stuff of life and changing things and turning them around. Nobody's too far away for him. Nobody's too lost or too uh, maybe uh, beaten up by the stuff of life that Jesus can't change and transform them. Can anybody say amen this morning? He pursues us. When we think about him or not, when we're going for him, when we're focusing on him or not, he pursues us with a relentless, unshakable love and passion. And I want to convey something of that to you today because I think there's a a real simple secret here. Jesus still comes to real people in your world and mine, in your sphere of influence and mine. And he comes personally to give them not just a second-hand experience, but a personal up-close encounter revelation of who he is. He speaks your language. He speaks the language not just of the mind or the lips, but of the heart. And he will find a way to reach you guys, to reach you girls this morning 
in a way that your heart can receive and understand. The Bible's a real book full of real people. They're flesh and blood. If you and I were writing this, we might be tempted to leave some things out because sometimes they don't look so good. Sometimes they don't do so good. And yet God's love and purpose and destiny for them comes through the real story. So come with me for a moment as we unpack a well-known story from Luke's gospel. There are four gospels, as many of you will know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are four perspectives on the same events. They give different viewpoints. But as I've already said, they're not only the views of the men that are writing them, though they do reflect their personality, but they're also driven along, the Bible says, superintended, empowered by the breath of God. So that what we have are men's words, but not just that. They're the very words of the very God. And the gospel writers write of different events. There's a lot of overlap, but John in his gospel only tells us of seven miracle stories of the many that Jesus performed. He gives us some of the great I am statements that Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. But, you know, at the end of his gospel, he says this, of all the things that Jesus did, if they were all written down, there wouldn't be enough books in all the world to contain them. But these things, speaking about his own gospel, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. And by believing, you would have life in his name, eternal life. So he gives us his purpose. I'm writing these things as God is leading me so that you would believe that Jesus really is the saviour of the world and that you would believe in him so that you receive his life in your life. Clear and definite purpose. Luke is the physician, the doctor. He writes Luke and he writes the book of Acts and he's concerned about detail and precision. So let's see what he says at this moment of the story. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee. Excuse me. And he sees two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. It's a, a beautiful, tranquil scene, except for the crowd how many of you have ever been in a big, big crowd? I mean, other than 11 o'clock trying to get the best seat for Sunday morning. We've had some memories. I'm going down memory lane, Bruce, just standing here and thinking of services past, times when, goodness me, some people didn't put, uh, always behave really well to get their seat in church on Sunday morning. I'm not looking at anybody here, just back in my memory. So we're in a pastoral scene. It's beautiful hills of Galilee and this amazing sea. The town, Capernaum, they're just outside. And the crowds have come from near and far. In fact, in the Gospels, we hear that people before Instagram, before Twitter or Facebook, before Snapchat or anything like that, before social media that we have, the grapevine was a busy Somehow, news traveled about this man called Jesus 
who was not only a man of incredible words, but when he spoke, things happened. People got healed of their diseases. The blind eyes were opened. Uh, People that were tormented, that were addicted, like the song that we were hearing about, you know, that thought they were indestructible, but life was careering out of control, got set free from the things that held and bound them. And so people began to travel from a day's travel away, from many days, from even as far as Jerusalem, days and days away, the big city. And they crowded in. One occasion when the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he sees two boats. Just a moment to remind us that crowds are incredible. Just yesterday, late afternoon, my daughter and I were just wandering down Oxford Street. I'd forgotten how hard it is to walk against the crowd on a Saturday in Oxford Street. Years ago, I went up north into, a, um, into the northeast of England and went to a football game. I was a teenager. I'd met some friends at a camp and went along, and it was Sunderland, where uh, they're passionate about their football. In the old stadium, where most people stood rather than sat, before health and safety changed everything, I was going to the game. But the older brother of the person I was staying with, who was a real Geordie, northeast guy, said, Chris, when you go to the game, don't open your mouth because you're a southern softy. <laughs> and when they hear your voice, you know, they, they, they're likely to do anything. He was just winding me up. But I believed him. And when I got into the stadium with 50,000 fans and Sunderland were playing Arsenal, who they hated because the star player for Arsenal had just been transferred from their big rivals, Newcastle. So they hated this guy. Too much detail about the football game, but bear with me. I'm in the crowd and it's 2-1 to Arsenal. And then suddenly the home team scored. The place went absolutely wild. Before I knew where I was, somebody had grabbed my legs and picked me up. And I was being passed across the crowd. I still didn't say anything because I'm a southern softy. And I thought I'd be killed if they heard my voice. Crowds can be scary things. You ever been in a big crowd? But they can also be times of great joy. I've got to tell you one more. My son's here as well. Jordan and I, we'd moved. 1997, we moved from KT, from London to Cardiff. And uh, he was just uh, about four years old then. But when he was about eight... Cardiff had by then built a new stadium. It's called the Millenn- it was then called the Millennium Stadium. Now it's the Principality. But it's, it was a state-of-the-art stadium built for rugby in Wales, their favourite game. But they let other sports use it occasionally, reluctantly. Well, we had never been in the new stadium. So along with thousands of other Cardiff residents... We went to a football game, not rugby, but football, where they sold cheap tickets. And it was Wales against Norway. It was an unforgettable, I'm sorry, it was a totally forgettable game (laughs) for the football. But there was one unforgettable moment for me and my son, Jordan, when all of a sudden, in a very boring game, we were sat high up all around us. The crowd suddenly leapt to their feet and started raising their hands and cheering. 
Well, we didn't really know what was going on, but we joined in. The power of the crowd. On our feet, hands raised, cheering away. Then suddenly, in the distance, I looked at the scoreboard and I saw the words, England, nil, Germany, one. From Wembley Stadium, they'd broadcast the score so all the Welsh could rejoice that the English were losing to Germany. I turned to my son, he was open mouth, so was I, and said, Jordan, never forget, we're missionaries in Wales. <laughs> There's a huge crowd right now pressing in on Jesus. They're desperate. Many of them have come just to hear, but they're pressing, and they're such a crowd one day, a woman pressed through. We read a bit about it in the, in, in the Gospels. And she's a woman that's been bleeding for many years. She's been hemorrhaging. She's, she would have been considered unclean in her society. Nobody would welcome her at, at their house. Nobody would welcome her and part the crowd. But one day, this desperate woman had heard so much about what Jesus was doing and saying that she plucked up the courage and overcame her shame. And she pressed through a crowd and the Bible tells us that she touched him through the crowd. She was determined and persistent because a crowd is a crowd. It's not 5, 10, 15 people. And she touched him and Jesus said, who touched me? The disciples looked around and said, who touched you? Who touched you? Sorry. I don't remember that bump there. <laughs> who touched you? The whole place is touching you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me. And Power went out of it. He found the woman who was responsible and said to her, your faith has made you whole. She reached through and her life was changed. This crowd, it says, are pressing in on him. And I wonder whether there are some people in that crowd just like that woman that are desperate. Can he save me? Can he heal me? Can he set me free? Can he get me out of the life I'm in right now. So Jesus, in Luke's telling of the story, sees two boats and goes over to one of them. They're fishing boats. It's a fishing town. They're sizable boats, and they belong to the fishermen that are sitting nearby mending their nets. It's an everyday scene. It's a real-life, real-person scene. But Luke shows us something that is so significant. In, in a moment, we're with Jesus uh, getting into the boat, verse 2, which was Simon's. Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land, sits down and teaches the people from the boat. So very simply, Jesus steps into one of the boats, asks the fishermen to put out a little from the land so he can use it as a platform. And so he can speak to the crowds. Water would amplify the sound. They didn't have amplifiers. They didn't have the kind of high-tech solutions to broadcast uh, what Jesus was saying. So he just uses that to get away from the crowd and also to amplify his message to them. But just for a moment, I want you to see something. Firstly, he sees a boat and he steps into a boat belonging to Simon. Every time we go away on holiday to somewhere exotic where they have one of those lovely harbours, 
I love to walk around and look at the boats. Sometimes the boats are little pleasure boats. Sometimes in the south of France, for example, they're beautiful luxury yachts. And I'm just nosy. I can't help it. I've tried getting counseling for it, but I just like to know. Don't you? I'd love sometimes look at those boats and I think, I wonder whose boat that is. I wonder what that's like inside. And, and Annie and I have a friend that we met here many years ago who's a boat designer. He designs the interiors of very fancy yachts. We always try and find out whose, whose boat he's designing. He said, I could tell you, but I'd have to shoot you. He's joking about that part. But he would be given huge amounts of money to design the interiors of the yachts for the super rich. Not money for his pocket, but for the budget. Just for the bathrooms, millions of pounds. And so I've got a fascination with those boats. And once or twice down at those harbors, I've wanted to step over that little bit of rope and just walk on board and have a look behind the scenes. But you know what stopped me? I was always thinking I'd get about five paces before somebody said, hey, you, get off my boat. Jesus steps on a fisherman's boat. The fisherman is not in the crowd. Have you noticed that? We don't know how much Simon has already met and heard Jesus, but some of the scholars suggest that he's already heard him in Capernaum. He's heard him teach and speak. He may have even already have been to Simon's mother-in-law's house where one day Jesus is entertained and the mother-in-law is unwell and Jesus heals her. So it's quite likely that this fisherman, who right now is mending his nets in an ordinary fisherman's morning, has heard and seen Jesus and knows he's extraordinary. But right now, he's not in the crowd. I just want to suggest to you that that says two things about it. Number one, it's just an ordinary day. How many of you have ordinary days where life goes on and you know that Christians, followers of Jesus, are not immune from the stuff of life? Life happens. And part of following Jesus is to learn how to go through the seasons of life with hope and trust and peace and strength and courage. We don't get a get out of jail card free like the Monopoly game to immune us and exempt us from challenges and tough things in life. Here's a young fisherman who's not in the crowd that day. But I want to suggest to you that the good news is that whether he was planning to be there or not, Jesus was planning an encounter with a fisherman called Simon. In other words, Jesus was seeking him, whether Simon was seeking God or not. And it says something about the love of God, the pursuing love of God, that he's looking for people. He's pursuing them in the real stuff of their lives. So Jesus says, your boat, let's go out. And Simon agrees. And for a little while, we don't know how long, Jesus sits down and teaches the people from the boat. If you go to Matthew, in one of the crowd scenes on a mountain before he feeds the crowd, we get three chapters telling us what Jesus teaches that day. 
to the crowd. The, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. All of that is from one of those moments where he teaches the crowd. But Luke here tells us nothing about what Jesus teaches that day. The reason is not because it's not important, but because the focus here isn't so much on the teaching, but on Jesus coming for Simon. It's personal here. And the Holy Spirit wants us to see that Jesus has come to this moment. Yes, he teaches the crowd. He performs miracles that day. But most of all, he's come for Simon, who's about to have a life-changing encounter in his own boat. So when he steps into Simon's boat, he's not just stepping into a platform or an amplifier. He's stepping into this young man's world. The boat represents his world. You may not have a boat. It's like him coming to your office, coming into your friendship group. Coming right where you are and having the purpose to meet with you in your world in this season. Isn't that amazing? Simon, without planning, without pursuing him, gets a close-up personal encounter with Jesus that will change him forever. And I want to suggest to you that he comes to real people like you and me. We don't always know it, notice the moment. We don't always expect it, but he comes into your life, speaks your language, understands the stuff that you're going through. So he steps into his world. These young guys, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John, have gone into the fishing business. They're actually from a little town just round the, round the bay called Bethsaida. We hear about that in uh, the Gospels elsewhere. And they've moved to... Capernaum, the bigger town. They've gone into partnership. I'm going to suggest to you that Simon is an ambitious, young, ordinary guy. But he's been out on the seas in all kinds of weather, and he's a tough guy. And he's living a life where he has some dreams and some plans and some hopes and some ambitions for his future. He and his brother have got a bigger boat and have gone to the bigger town. And have partnered up with two buddies who actually on another occasion, Jesus calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee, by a nickname. He calls them Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. It doesn't trip off the tongue very easily. What I think it means is wild boys. There's two wild boys. Sons of thunder. Angry. Hot-headed. Passionate young fishermen, James and John. They're the kind of guys you find in any city or town late on a Friday, Saturday night. They've maybe had a few too many in the bars and they're out in the streets and you don't want to look at them wrongly just in case they get a bit too friendly. You, you wouldn't walk down a, a dark alley and want to meet these guys, James and John, these wild boys. But you, if you are going down the dark alley, you might want them walking with you as your escort. Real people. And Simon's one of those. And he's not been looking for Jesus, and he's not in the crowd. And Jesus steps into his boat. Let's fast forward through. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon. Immediately, Luke gives us like the close-up on the, on the screen, the close-up lens. 
he turns from the crowd. Jesus loves crowds. says, whenever he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. For he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So he loves the crowd, but he's come for Simon. So there's a moment where he turns and says to Simon, let's go fishing to a fisherman. Now the scholars again tell us, wrong time of day. They've gone out all night, which is when they usually fish, and they've caught nothing. But now in the morning, they're mending the nets for another go. And Simon can't resist saying to Jesus, we've been out all night, Lord, and we've caught nothing. But because you say, we'll do it. I don't think it's sarcasm, actually. Although that might, you know, we've been out all night, but we know what we're doing. We're fishermen. You're a carpenter, I hear. But because you say, I think he sat with him in the boat now. He's been around his presence. And the Holy Spirit is starting to work in Simon's heart. And so he begins to take seriously what Jesus suggests. Let's go on an adventure. Let's go fishing. But because you say, there may be many voices around you guys right now. Voices that tell you this way and that way. I want to tell you we need the voice of God in our lives. That they met, but because you say so, Lord. But because you say so, Lord. That takes us into fresh adventures. So out they go into the deep. Many of you know this story. Puts down the net and they have this huge, dramatic catch of fish. So big that his boat is starting to sink just getting the fish on board. The biggest catch of his life immediately calls over the other brothers, the wild boys, with their boat to come and help. And just as they're starting to take the catch ashore, verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw the, the catch that was filling both the boats that were beginning to sink, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. A moment in the boat, his own boat, that would absolutely change him. Here's what is happening. A fisherman long ago, I'd suggest to you, Peter stopped smelling fish. You ever been to the fish market? Oh, my word. It stinks in those fish markets. It does. I don't just mean, you know, the nice fish counter in Waitrose or Sainsbury's, where it's all wrapped and, and, and you know, it's all nice. And I mean the fish counter where it's slammed down there and it's long ago he'd stopped smelling fish because he was so used to it. I doubt that he'd stopped smelling of fish. But there's a moment in the boat where he looks at the catch and he looks at Jesus. And Luke tells us he falls down at his feet, at his knees. Where? In the boat. Where? If he's falling down, he's face down. Face down in fish. It's got to be. So the fisherman who started out that morning to repair his nets on an ordinary day 
Jesus steps into his boat, takes him out, blows his mind with the biggest catch he's ever had. And now he's face down in fish. I don't think he'd ever forget that moment. But what he's actually saying is, Lord, get away from me. Suddenly he's overwhelmed that this Jesus is here in his boat out in the sea. And I think he feels shame and he feels fear and he probably feels what sometimes we feel. Lord, if only you knew me, I'm not good enough for you. I'm a mess up. I've done this. I feel just get away from me. And I want to tell you that when Jesus comes for real people, he'll never run away from you. He takes us at our worst and then gives us his best. He forgives and makes new and cleans up and removes completely all that has held us away from him. What the Bible calls our sin and our nature to sin. Peter is at the moment, Simon who becomes Peter later on in the story, at the moment is face down in fish saying, get away from me. I can't cope with you. I'm not for you. Not realizing that Jesus has come for him exactly as he is, knowing him as he is. Can you just put yourself in that boat for a moment? You may not be a boat owner, neither am I. One day, Lord. Not really. I don't know how to work the boat. But he did. And Jesus says, no, not only am I not going away from you, Simon, don't be afraid. Whoa. Don't be afraid of yourself. Don't be afraid of whether you can live up to it. Don't be afraid that I'm going to reject you. I've come for you. Don't be afraid. From now on, from now on, Simon, you will. And he begins to outline a new identity, a new purpose, a new future for him. But it's a real person in a real moment, in a place that was familiar to him, where suddenly everything changes. I believe with all my heart that God still calls real people. Jesus comes to them in your world, in your workplace, in your family, in your community. Some of the ones we think are too hard, too far away. He's pursuing them even now. Amen? Amen. But I want you to hear that he comes for you. And he comes not just once, but relentlessly, over and over through the seasons of life. Times when we mess up and we fail. There would come a moment about three years later when Simon would be not in a boat, but in a courtyard. And Jesus had been arrested and was about to be crucified. And Simon had said, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never give up on you. And Jesus had said, before tonight is through and the cock crows, three times you will deny me. And when he did deny him in that courtyard, I wonder whether his mind and his heart in all the rush of shame and, and, and disgrace and fear and despair, I wonder whether his mind and his heart went back to a moment in a boat when he was face down in fish. And he said, Lord, get away from me. And the Lord said, don't be afraid from now on. And began to not only receive him, but to change him. There would be moments when Simon Peter, great man of God that he became, would mess it up completely and would be reminded that the pursuing love of Jesus was not finished and would never finish with him. It's a word in season for somebody here today. Some of you, you, you know, you, you, it's like the scales are falling from your eyes. 
that Jesus is on your case. He's finding you. He loves you. He's not there to, to mess you up, but he's there to heal you, to change you, to give you new hope and new life. The man, the woman that you were destined to be and made to be by Almighty God, Jesus is pursuing you to turn you round. For, for Simon, he says, come now, leave, uh, not just leave, but follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men, people. So it's like he's, he, he says the stuff of your life is going to be expressed now in a new direction, in a new way. And he gives him new purpose. The more we look at the Gospels, the more we look at history, the more we look at our own story, we see that Jesus still comes to real people in real places. Where you are right now, whether it's your place, whether you ever intended to be there or don't know how you got there or here, Jesus comes to real people in real places. You, you, your, your place today may not be your finishing place, but while you're here, I want you to know that God's all over you and that he's preparing people for the places of our lives. There's a kid's thing, a doctor's who says, oh, the places you'll go. It's one of our favorite family children's stories, talking to a little child about life in the future and where they'll go and what they'll see. And I want to say, when you put your trust in Christ, oh, the places you'll go, the adventures that are ahead, geographical places, yeah, but places of influence, places in your world, your social group, the places that he comes and begins to take us new places with new purpose. I'm going to ask you to stand in this place as I bring this message to a close. Jesus, pursuing Jesus, steps into your world. The God who knows you, who knows the details of your life, who knows your address, who knows where you live, who knows what you're carrying and what it's time to let go of. He comes to you and he comes to me, pursues us with a relentless love. He changes us. Personal encounter in a boat for Simon that set him free for a new life. This young fisherman and his friends, wild boys, James and John, walk away from the biggest payday of their life. They leave it behind because from that moment in a boat, he's been spoiled for life without Jesus. And from now on, it's a new day, and he becomes a new man. Would you close your eyes? Maybe lift your hands with me, Mr. Jesus. Those of you that know him already, I want to pray for a prayer of renewed purpose, renewed personal encounter with him. Those of you that are on the verge of saying yes to Jesus, are saying, yeah, I believe it. I believe you. Come for me. You're talking to my heart. I want to give you an opportunity just where you are this morning amongst hundreds of others in the crowd that he can nudge your heart and say, this is for you. This is your day to respond to my pursuing love. So would you pray with me something like this? Lord Jesus, I believe that you come to me, that you come to my life, that you step into my world. And this day, I say, yes, Lord. I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to close you out. But I'm receiving you as my Lord and the Lord of my life. Those of you that already are following him, 
would you pray? From now on, Lord, would you release that greater purpose? Would you give me strength not to be afraid, but to know that you are beginning, you are developing something in my life that is for every place I will ever be, the hard places and the familiar ones, the easy and the, and, and the close-up and the far away, wherever I go, I'm trusting that you have an adventure for me and that you will be with me until every, every single moment and every single part of my life calling is fulfilled. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs>